G'day podcasting friends of the show. Some housekeeping before we kick off. I am wanting to involve you, my good listening friends of the show, into the podcast even more and tailor content to the things that will trigger you the most. So it involves you being really honest with me. Send me a DM. If you come across something on Facebook, on Instagram, let's face it, on Twitter, or maybe Uncle Greg or Uncle Daryl says something that triggers you really hard, send me a DM. I want to know what ideas or opinions or people or religious ideas that you come across that trigger you the most. Now, when you send it to me, I will then do my very best to find somebody to talk to that has that exact opinion that triggers you the most. I would love to hear from you and then try and trigger you as much as possible and to take this Ideas Digest listening to the other practice to the next level. And the reason I really need your involvement on this show is because I will just continue to get sucked down little vortexes that pop up in my little echo chamber. I need you guys to round out this show, round out the echo chamber, widen the echo chamber, and I can go down these different rabbit holes because I've gone down the deconstruction path quite a lot now. And you'll notice this next episode coming up is also about deconstruction because I keep getting connected in with interesting people and I go, you know what, I'll I'll talk to them as well. So if you want to hear more diverse ideas, especially ones tailored to you, triggering you, I want to hear from you because I know I'm going to get it because the other involvement I've been asking for is podcast reviews and boy, do you guys deliver. I mean, let's go to Apple Podcasts Australia, the home of the Ideas Digest podcast. Strawberry Pants gives it five stars and says title essential listenings for all humans wow i i don't know if i can even read this i feel like um it's an over endorsement of the podcast but i really appreciate it uh strawberry pants says these are conversations i've been secretly wanting to have for a long time so i appreciate the courage and vulnerability of the hosts that's me and the late great cam and the guests to delve into these uncomfortable and often taboo spaces every episode i've listened to has expanded me in some way by forcing me to step out of my echo chamber questioning some of my unconscious bias, that's good, and understanding different perspectives from my own. Yes, nailing it. That's the goal of the podcast. Sometimes helping me to gain more clarity on a belief or value that I hold that I don't understand fully myself. If all humans engage in these conversations like these... (laughs) <laughs> the world would be a much better place. Sorry, my reading is is, is uh, faltering because I'm not a great reader. And boy, this is a long and positive review. Finally, but if you're not quite ready for that, binging every Ideas Digest ha- episode has to offer is a good place to start. I butchered the reading on that one, but I'm going to push through. This is a one-take intro. Strawberry Pants, thank you so much. Everyone else, if you haven't read or reviewed the podcast, really appreciate it. Clout brings access to to our show, Ideas Digest. So, I want to hear what triggers you. Rate and review and enjoy this next episode. I'm right and you're wrong. Once you start labeling people. Categorizing of humans and ideas. You have desensitized yourself to the humanity of that other human being to who they really are and in the marketplace of ideas these things are complicated man we all need to engage with a variety of viewpoints a genuine multicultural connection with another i mean sometimes you don't need to agree or disagree you just need to sit with it and digest
G'day, and welcome back to another episode of Ideas Digest. I've been told I rush the Ideas Digest, and I say Ideas Digest. Uh, so I pronunciated correctly that one. The live podcast practice where we explore challenging ideas outside of our little echo chamber that we often exist within. My name's Conrad, and if you're a new friend of the show, welcome. Welcome to the show. Each week, we seek out people or ideas who we might disagree with, and rather than debate them or name call them in 240 characters or less, we will instead sit and understand. Now, I'm under no delusions that this is a popular thing to do. I know it isn't easy, but if you, like me, think believe that the world needs more understanding, not less, maybe you're naive like that, join me for the next hour or so, pretending that I have no opinions, and for the next hour, we'll see, we'll see how, this, how this ends up. Um, let's go to the clickbait, because that's where everything begins in this modern age of the algorithm. It might mislead you, and hopefully it does. The clickbait for this episode, it's got an expletive in it. So I'll, uh, I'll skip the expletive. The mind effery, so you could fill in the star there, of God. Oh man, that's gonna, that might trigger some people. And if it does, keep listening. That's the point of the show. To help kind of unpack this and explain this later on, I want to welcome new friend of the show, Alice Gretchen. Alice, thanks for joining Ideas Digest. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And before we launch in, I just have to say like that whole intro, like everything, everything that you're about, I love. And I really, really wish and advocate for more respectful disagreement um, and curiosity and empathetic learning because that's that is sorely missing in especially in our online spaces and i feel like i have a, abundance of it in my real life relationships which are slowly starting to come back after you know the past year and a half but it's a uh, it's still it's tricky, you know, navigating in an online space. And I feel like, of course, you lose a lot of nuance of body language and tone and stuff. So I, I love learning about things, especially when I disagree with them, because I just like to think like it's fun for me. So thank you so much for having me. I'm very happy. Oh, you're here. very welcome. You're in <laughs> the right space. Um, I'm detecting an accent. I, know, I hear it's summer <laughs> where you are. So I'm going with, for an Australian, it's 50-50. I'm going with American. That's an American accent oh yes yes it's definitely an american accent uh, born and raised here in the states a lot of different places within the states and depending on where i go people will think that i'm from somewhere else i've lived in la for 18 years now so i feel whatever the i can't say say it's quite an la accent i don't think i sound full valley girl but uh, <laughs> <laughs> probably because of um the acting career that that i've that i've had uh they very much emphasize a standard american accent so don't sound standard. too midwest don't sound too southern don't sound too west coast like it, i don't know i i, I don't really care anymore it's it, i the, the way i speak is the way i speak so okay <laughs> i can adapt to I'm... my role if i need to but for my real life whatever <laughs> I'm getting, I'm getting some, um, I've been to America a couple of times and I'm getting some whole foods vibes. I feel like you would whole shop at Whole Foods. <laughs> yes. I actually I'm, just went there this morning. <laughs> I, I'm good. I'm you, good, at, at, good at this. I do love whole foods. I went in and went, Oh crap. Cause we've got, we've got two supermarkets that are well, three, but they're all identical. They're all rubbish. And mm. I went to America and Trader Joe's Whole Foods. Anyway, people on the podcast know that I'm a fan. Uh, and since you were just there, let's say I was perusing the many different varieties of gelato that they have in their ice cream. I'll go, man, which one should I try today? And we ran into each other and we just met. Uh -huh. Alice, 
who are you and what do you do? You got that like surface level introduction that you might give to people. Oh, so if I saw you in the gelato section and I'm assuming you're looking at ice cream, I would hold up my box that's literally in my freeze right now. And it's <laughs> Cool House's churro ice cream in a chocolate dip cone. I'd be like, fuck gelato. This is what you need to be eating right now. <laughs> and I'd say a uh, suggestion taken. I'll take two. Yeah. It's really good, really, really, really good. <laughs> we don't, we don't have, we don't have that kind of fancy food here, um, which mm. is, which is very disappointing. But then we'd get talking and we'd say, so yeah, Alice. Oh, it's nice to meet you. Are from the area? I'm not. Well, who, who are you and what do you do? Um. So, <laughs> oh boy, how real do we want to play this? So in real life, I'd probably just be very polite and very minimal, just because I'm not. I don't talk to. I don't talk to people much in public. I'm giving you warm vibes. You're like, this Aussie's real approachable and personable. Um, I'd be, okay. Uh, I'm Alice. I've lived in LA for 18 years. Any recommendations for food you need to know? I'm your gal, if you like tacos especially. Um, and yeah, let's see. And I've been acting. I write. I, I love vintage clothes. And uh, my passion project is helping helping people leave belief systems that they come to find harmful. So I also run this not-for-profit resource site called Dare to Doubt. And uh, that's pretty much what takes up most of my excitement and brain space. Fantastic intro. Great synopsis. <laughs> You've given me the perfect amount of ammunition now. You thought I was a nice guy, but Alice, I was judging you this entire time. I, mm -hmm. I have some assumptions, but rather than walk away with my judgments and assumptions, I'd like to confess them to you so that you can correct me where I'm right and where I'm wrong. I've already got one from one Whole Foods. Um, okay. How does that sound? Okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Please. <laughs> I love this game. This is funny. Friend, <laughs> friends of the show love a strict yes and no. They love these two tiny boxes. If you can, if we can okay. shove you into a simple yes and no, which obviously is too narrow for what we're talking about. Uh, We'll see how we get. We'll see how we go with that one. Some people, some people like to add in the, the, the extra bits. That's all right. Alice, I'll I'll be honest. I I to come up with these assumptions, I do some googling, mm -hmm. and um, <laughs> I just before off the top, I've got to ask you. Okay, you've mentioned you're an actress. I've got to ask you. I've did some googling, and like the number three web page was forty one hottest pictures of Alice Gretchen, and I just thought. <laughs> What's it like? What's it like? If I Google me, Conrad, it's like, doesn't exist. I'm, I would love 41 hottest pictures of me. How, is it, what is that like for you? Oh, man. Um, gosh, I'm not going to lie and say I've never Googled myself. Uh, this is quite not a yes, no answer. So I'm not going to give you a yes, no response. Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but what it's like, it's been it's been a little bit, I think, um, I, I suppose mo I suppose it's flattering. The ones that weird me out are like Al like fifty pictures of Alice Gretchen's feet. Those are the ones where Whoa. I'm like, oh, some people like really like really did some some deep diving oh. there, and like that's yeah. funny to me. It's like sort of amusing, and I'm like, oh my god, but why? Like my f I'm I'm not a manicure pedicure girl. Like I I just. I don't make the time, um, and uh, so I yeah I suppose that's very um, it's very f flattering. Uh, it's also very 
Um, there, I, I, I'm a little embarrassed that it's in the top three. I'd rather it be like at the bottom of the top 10 than the top three things I'm maybe known yeah, yeah, for. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I also understand that uh, the, the way that I happen to look got me in many ways to where I am. So I can't complain about it too much or feign too mm-hmm. much false modesty. It's like, yeah, this uh-huh. is what happened. This is how my, mm-hmm. this is who my parents are. These are, I'm the oldest of five kids they made. And this is partly where it's gotten me in addition to mm-hmm. everything else that I have to offer. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, I, that's a, you'll have to cut me off when my answers get too long winded. I'm going to count on you to do that. Oh, oh no worries. No worries. All right. We'll go to the, we'll, We'll go to the yes and no thing now. Okay. And I was just okay. curious. I just, I was just wondering, I'm like, well, what is that like? Um, <laughs> actress, as we mentioned, you've been in a, f- a few different, different roles. Um, you've got to be some like superficial Holly, hot Hollywood actress, like nothing going on upstairs kind of thing. No. Very harsh. I know. I, I was trying to come up with, come up with some. Um, no, be, be okay. as harsh as you want. <laughs> no okay. Oh, good. Here's another one. <laughs> Um, there's there's no on that one. You have written a book. So I think that, you know, that's, that's some good evidence to point to. Um, you're just, you're just another rich white girl, quote unquote, finding her truth. No. No. Okay. Well, you're really good at this. People are like, oh, okay. Okay. California. You gotta be some liberal elite. Ooh. Some West Coast. Okay, so this is one that we would, this is one we put a pin in to elaborate more on the yes or no. Right now, my gut answer is going to say yes, that would be a fair assumption, but I have an asterisk Mm -hmm. with that response. So, okay. Oh, okay. I like that. Um, And you said you're helping, your hobby is helping people leave their faith. Alice, you sound like an angry atheist. Is that you? (laughs) Uh, No. I'm a happy atheist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, and you know, you were talking about deconstruction. Alice, this is the one you might have gotten a lot. You were never really truly a Christian. You were never one of us. Hard no. Oh, and that one makes my heart ache as I hear you say it. Okay, but you've heard it before. Yes. <laughs> um, what did I miss? I've, I've Googled, I've fired some at you. Have I missed any that you might get on a semi-regular basis? Mm, assumptions that people make about me, um, yeah. that I'm rich. <laughs> I've had, I've had like, especially if I post about anything related to wealth or poverty, I'm, I always get like a couple comments of like, well, easy for you to say you're a rich, a rich, pretty woman or whatever. And it's like, oh my gosh, like you, you have no idea of my finances. I've known wealth and I've known poverty and I've known them in relative American extremes. Um, right now, no, I, I'm not rich. I haven't been rich for a while. So that's an assumption I think people make about me. Um, let's see, other assumptions. Um, I think you covered quite a few of them. I guess that, that I wouldn't have a whole lot going on upstairs. Um, what else? I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I, I hit, I hit I a few of them, right? Yeah. Oh, you definitely did. Okay. You definitely okay. did. Um, well, well, that's good. Is there, is there the pin in the um, liberal elite that you were, you wanted to come back to? Yes. So I just came back to LA from Texas and it, it's interesting because in, in Los Angeles, I feel like an outright conservative for 
a lot of things. I don't share a lot of my views publicly in large part because of um, the business that I'm in. And that's something that, um, quite frankly, I've been wrestling with inside of, of like how, how much of um, all of my opinions need to be out there. If they were out there, would, who would they help? Would they be helpful? Um, and I feel, I feel, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm. I've been, I've been mulling that over a little bit as I've been venturing to write about things other than um, my book, which came out this year, and also other than things that are more religion or leaving religion related. Um, I have, I have no shortage of opinions on a lot of things, and a lot of them, by LA liberal standards, would be considered a little bit more conservative leaning. However, like I said, I just got back from Texas, and in Texas, I feel like a flaming liberal. So I feel, and I feel like there's so many people that feel the way that I do. And again, there are people in my real life circle that um, I can have candid, nuanced conversations with, in in what genuinely does feel like a safe space where there's. Um, time to delve into things. It's not just a little, you know, 120 character limit or uh, a bunch of things you have to swipe and no one gets past the third swipe uh, if it's like an Instagram post. So it's, um, I don't know, I do, I do feel like there's, it, it depends on by what standard you're measuring elite liberalism. Um, do I, I, I think I've definitely experienced a lot of privilege. So in, in the sense of um, being an elite, I don't know. I, I, I also came from quite literally nothing. Um, so I did not have a privileged elitist upbringing or teenagehood. Um, in my early in my early 20s, I came into quite a bit of, of acting success. And so that definitely put me in an American elite status, but it ebbs and flows. And uh, I feel like in terms of like the, the liberal thing, like, no, I, I don't. Um, I don't agree with a, with a lot of, uh, I, I agree very much with a lot of classic liberal things, but not with what neoliberalism is moving toward from my perspective. And I understand that these words are probably going to mean something different to everyone, but to my understanding of what I observe the people who consider themselves to be liberal, I don't agree with a lot of things that they do. And a lot of the things that I would disagree with them on, I feel like um I see people just virtually get axed for. Um, it's a very off with their head world, and I, I don't, I don't like that. I'm extremely uncomfortable and disturbed and deeply troubled by what this means for the future of where we're going. And um, I have tended to keep a lot of these opinions to myself. So I would never fault anybody for assuming I'm one of the liberal elites because I understand that I don't put out an image of myself out there that would contradict that. Um, but. I know who I am inside and the people who know me intimately know how I really think and feel about a lot of things. And so I don't think they'd necessarily consider me a liberal elite. Um, but again, depends on, depends on what social circles you run in, where you are in the geography and what these words liberal and elite or conservative mean to each individual. Mm. Classic deconstructionist. What does that word even mean? Define <laughs> those terms for me. <laughs> um, I, I think you've actually touched on something interesting, which we'll probably, which we might, which I do want to get to a little bit, um, which is that it sounds like you're okay saying, okay, I'm an atheist, I've deconstructed from Christianity, and and you you feel comfortable doing that, but it seems to indicate the religiosity of American politics that mm. you go, oh, I better not share an opinion on this because that might not go down so well. And I, I wouldn't mind getting to that kind of stuff later, 
But to the mm-hmm. clickbait and I guess to the starting point, the mind effery of God, I took that from you in a couple of different podcasts. <laughs> you said that. Um, and I guess you, you were talking about your book, Wayward, which is your memoir of you growing up um, and I guess growing up religious. Do you want to talk a bit about that and then what you're talking about in the clickbait that I ripped out of context? Yeah. So, uh, so for anyone who doesn't know, I, I was born into a Christian home. Um, my parents were, uh, they belonged at the time to the Foursquare Gospel Church, which is rooted in Pentecostalism. It's like a little sub-denomination of Pentecostalism. Um, they were missionaries when I was a toddler, barely remember any of it, but we were overseas in Asia for for several months. And then came back to the States and settled in Illinois, where my dad took a pastorship position. Long story short, when I was eight years old, um, this was like in 1994, um, my family became very heavily involved in a uh, Christian revival movement that would later become known as the Toronto Blessing. And the Toronto Blessing, um, so my parents left the the denominational fellowships and became non-denominational. But in short, um, and just for the sake of specificity, the media today would describe us as evangelical and the Christian media would describe us as charismatic vineyard. Um, Those, I've used those terms interchangeably. And what they mean is we were like the holy roller spirit slaying type of Christians. Like we were praying in tongues and having visions and worship would go on for five, six, eight hours. Sometimes Um, it was very Holy spirit led. It didn't have like a routine. It was the opposite of routine. It was like, Oh, routine, you know, God, God doesn't move according to our schedule. Um, The Holy spirit needs to be free to move. However, God would lead. Um, So it could be, it it could look different every time, but there were a lot of commonalities. Like usually there Usually the, the overall formula, I guess, would be comparable to many other churches. Like you start with worship, however long worship goes, depends. But then there's usually like a pass the bucket for, you know, the money. And then there's a testimonies of people sharing their stories. And like, maybe there's a sermon, maybe there's just a big all night prayer session um, where everyone just prays and, and gets slain by the spirit. And that basically just means you... Um, you fall over on the ground and maybe you're shaking and twitching and <laughs> spazzing out a little bit and uh, getting a vision from God. And um, I've said before, you know, God never spoke to me. I never had any visions from God at all. So I faked my way through it my entire youth, um, including when I when I started getting older and getting more involved in, in youth groups. Um, my family moved around, like I said, my family moved around quite a bit. And so I went to many different uh, churches, fellowships, youth groups all throughout, uh, America. And, uh, it gave me, it's interesting because like I, in some ways, I guess it's sort of well-rounded, but in other ways, it's very, it's still a very niche aspect of American Christianity that I grew up in. Um, furthermore, I was homeschooled my entire life until I went to college. So my upbringing was also, um, a little bit extra insulated from that aspect as well. I definitely had friends, but they were all from church. Um, sometimes from neighbors, but again, moving around so much, uh, we didn't really stay in one place long enough for me to um, develop a whole lot of close relationships with kids my own age. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the nutshell version. <laughs> that's that's a that's a good nutshell. Um, so when you're talking about the mind f of God, and you you you're describing all these charismatic uh, manifestations of the spirit, they'll call it like. Um, a lot of very 
spiritual or mystical kind of tangible God experiences. Are you, are you saying, um, that you never felt or saw or encountered this type of God in your entire life kind of growing up in this world? I never did. There, there were times when I thought maybe, maybe I am, but it was nothing that my mind couldn't attribute to something else. Like say, for example, um, worship is just like lit that night. People are just feeling it and you're singing in unison with hundreds of other people around you. Physiologically, you're experiencing something like you're having a moment. It's not unlike being at a concert or a music festival or any other live music venue where you just have those magic nights, you know, or days where like, there's like a moment happening and you're all in it together. Um, a lot of people call that sort of tingly feeling, unified feeling, um, God and, what I know now is it, a lot of it is just um, a bunch of neurochemicals going off. There's nothing mysterious about it. And back then I wanted to believe that it was God, but it was also like, I don't know. Like, I think I just feel happy and good because like I'm with my friends and we're like, the music's really good tonight, you know? Like, so I would try to tell myself that I felt God or that I was experiencing him. Um, I would try to tell myself that God was answering me or leading, leading me to do something when really there was always that nagging doubt of like, no, I think this is, I'm just doing this because this is what I really want to do or the opposite. I'm doing this because I don't want to do this because I believe this is what God would be asking of me because God asks us to sacrifice. So it was always, and there's that mind effery of God of like, uh, I was told that God communicates to us through the feelings that he gives us. And whether we call it our intuition our instinct, our, um, desires, you know, and like half the time our desires were from Satan because our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things, says the Bible. And half the time God wants to give you the desires of your heart also says the Bible. How are we supposed to discern what is a desire from God and what's a desire from Satan? And for me, that was, that, that's like, the crux of my dilemma with God was because like other people would talk so normally about, oh, God led me to do this or God put this on my heart. And I was like, how do you know, though, that it was God? How do you know it's not your flesh deceiving you? Like, how, how do you what did God sound like to you? Like, what did that feel like? Did something how do you distinguish what's a thought from you, whether it's from Satan or just you? Where do you exist? You, I didn't. For me, I don't think in, in to my perspective, no one existed. Um, everything was God or Satan and you only existed to make the wrong or right choice, but you actually didn't have any opinion yourself because all of your, you were just pawns in this battle between good and evil is how I looked at things. And, um, because that's what I was taught and that's what the Bible says. And so of course it wouldn't use the word pawns, but I don't know how else to interpret a lot of the things that I read and I read the whole damn thing guys. So multiple, like I, I delved, I was so with your assumptions of, of like, was I, never a real Christian, I didn't know anything else. I was as real and genuine a Christian as I could have known to be because I was never exposed to anything else. I was told that the outside world existed. I saw it at like the grocery store, but I never was a part of it until I was a young adult. And um, that got, Christianity was my reality. It didn't get any more real. Every decision that I was told my parents made came from what they felt God was calling them to do. And that was just how everyone around me spoke. So 
uh, yeah, it, it was, it was the most real thing to me. And at the same time, never real to me personally, it was so real intellectually, so real observationally, never real experientially to me, mm-hmm. um, which was very problematic. <laughs> would you, would you describe your upbringing then in this world where, cause it's sounding like you're saying that your personhood and you as a person through this biblical language and this God v Satan talk, you were kind of pushed. You as a person shouldn't really exist. Everything you should do is because of what God wants. And you're in this game of trying to guess at what this God wants. Would, would you describe yeah. that experience? Like I suppose as bluntly as some atheists might put it, like Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris, they'd go, it's child abuse. Would you Put, put it in that category, given your experience moving through it. I love it. Going straight, straight to the deep punch. Um, so this is, this is a question that I find myself uh, asking myself and delicately talking about with others because, um, so I've recently come to the opinion, we'll come back to the child abuse thing. <laughs> this is related. Um, I've recently come to the opinion that when people, especially secularists and atheists, try to argue that a secular government ensures freedom for all, I actually find that I disagree with that to an extent, to an extent. I don't think we're fighting for religious freedom when we say we want separation of church and state. I think because it, I, I think they mean freedom of thought, but not freedom to practice. So where's the, where's the line between freedom to believe whatever you want and the freedom to actually practice what you believe? Because the Bible, the Quran, many books, if we're actually going to practice what we believe, we're going to become wife beaters, we're going to become child rapists, we're going to become infanticidal monsters. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people might argue, oh, well, those are human rights. You know, that's where the line is between uh, practicing one's faith and not. And so that I think is where the rubber meets the road. And when we're talking about religious freedom, what are we talking about? Are we talking about freedom to think, freedom to talk, freedom to dress however we want? Or are we talking about freedom to actually practice? And here's where it gets to the child abuse questions. Like, I do think that definitely aspects of it are abusive. Um, for me personally, where I'm at right now, and this has been an evolving answer um as it's something that that i've been thinking about quite a bit where i'm at right now i feel like when it becomes physical that's when i would personally use not hesitate to use the word abuse when you're making your child fast aka starving them um that i think is malnourishment and abusive if you're beating your child like i think that's abusive personally um and beat what is beat that's relative. Is it like a smack on the hand? Is it like, I'm going to wallop you with a stick or the Bible or a belt? Where's the line between beat? Spanking alone is a controversial thing, even in non-religious circles. So when the Bible's telling you, you know, like uh, to, to discipline your children at, with a rod, it's like some people take that literally and other people don't. Um, so it's it's sticky. And I, in terms of physical aside, the psychological parts of what is uh, what's psychological abuse, what's emotional abuse, what's verbal abuse. Um, I feel like the I feel like the word abuse is very it's loaded. Um, and I think it's very open to interpretation. It's very subjective. Um, personally, I don't feel like my parents abused me. Um, 
I feel like a lot of the ideology itself is abusive. To be told that you were born deceitfully wicked, so wicked that you needed someone else to die for you on a cross, like a bloody, gruesome, tortured crown of thorns, like that should have been you. That ideology itself, to me, is abusive. It's manipulative. And if you don't believe in this and worship this, you're going to burn for eternity. I think that's abusive. Do I think that the people around me, like my parents, my pastors, abused me? I would not say so. Because I think they were coming from, uh, and again, this is just me. I know plenty of kids who were uh, abused in a way that I would use that word within a religious context. But speaking from my own experience, I don't feel abused. Um, I feel misled. I feel um, like I was taught things that weren't true, but not from a manipulative place. Because I think Mm. that they were true to the people teaching me. Um, so where is that line? Like, that's a very, yeah. it's a very tricky judgment call. To the make. term, the term abuse does like insinuate like often intent to abuse in, in that, in that sense. So I suppose as you're looking at your experience and, and, and you write about in your book, when you look back at your old self moving through this world, not kind of not quite fitting in and then playing these mind games that, that you've spoken about to try and go, well, is God speaking here? Should I go here? This person saying, God saying, I should do this. Could you unpack maybe some of those experiences you, you've had and would you categorize them on some level as resulting in endpoint trauma that you've needed to unpack or something like hmm. that? I would, yes. Um, and... Disclaimer before I answer that more in full, what I've, when we're talking about words like trauma, <laughs> like you said, classic deconstructionist, let's define these terms before we yeah, yeah. give an answer. Yeah. Um, to me, trauma is the subjective internalization of an event, not necessarily the event itself. That's the best definition that I've come across that I, that I relate to. And that's how I will use this word. Um, I did come out of it feeling traumatized by a few things, but my siblings, for instance, didn't about the same things. So, um, and they, you know, maybe they're traumatized by other things that I wasn't. So that said, um, I think two, two main things come to mind. Um, uh, when we're talking about things that God told other people or that people believed God told them that affected me in ways that I would consider traumatizing. Um, one, which I read about my book is my parents genuinely believed that God was calling them to sell our house and most of our belongings and to trust in him to provide. So this meant that both my parents were unemployed, uh, voluntarily because, um, we were going to live. They, I remember at the time, the term they used was living by faith and what that meant for them and for, for us as a family was, uh, having faith that God was going to meet all of our needs and not being consumed by what the world's external pressures are, or the pressures of society to live in accordance to the best of our ability and our conscience to do what we think God's calling. And so um, how I've described it since is uh, homeless uh, is how it felt to me then. And how, when I look back, I'm like, we were voluntarily homeless though. Like we were not, I, I, and I know that that word itself is loaded. It usually conjures an image of people begging on the street and busking on corners. It's like, no, we were campground homeless, not urban homeless. Um, we lived in campgrounds. And then sometimes with 
family or relatives or friends or people that we would just meet in these campgrounds who felt God put it on their hearts to have us come stay with them for a few days or sometimes even months. Um, and so that was what living by faith meant. And uh, for me, I was just, I just happened to be a kid who really thrived in stable environments. I did not do so well with spontaneity. Um, honestly, I still don't. I'm just a person that I like order. I like routine. I like to be in control. I like to be, and on a, you know, probably a lot of that now is in reaction to this. But I think even when I was a kid, um, things just hit me a little bit harder. I, I needed, I, I really struggled with adapting. Um, and that was really rough. I, I always felt very lost, very destabilized. I, I, there were issues I worked on. In Good pickup line. Try it sometimes. Emotional connection, like purposefully alienating myself emotionally from people because I didn't want to get attached and then just have to leave. Um, and of course, the the job I found myself in as an adult, like it's a very nomadic life um, that a lot of anyone in the performing industry leads, whether it's music or acting or any of that. So it's um, it did feel very. Uh, uh, I had a lot of baggage that I had to sort out from a lot of that. So that, uh, and when I still talk about it now, there's like this quaking feeling in my chest that I'm very aware of in my body of like, like a, a panicky, scared, like, oh no, we're losing stability. We must be stable. I, all I wanted was stability. And like, I didn't have that. Um, so that, in that sense, there's a little bit of trauma there. But the second, the second instance that first comes to mind and, um, was when a, a guy, uh, when I was 17, who was a friend of mine told me that God showed him that I was his future wife. And that honestly, like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, it was a very, cause I believed him. Um, I never, I didn't hesitate to question it. It was just so instantaneous for me because that was, he was speaking a language that other people had spoken my whole life. And uh, I was heavily indoctrinated in purity culture. And I know you've spoken with some other people who also uh, grew up in purity culture. And it was textbook, purity culture, how my my courtship, uh, my future marriage was supposed to unfold. Um, I was young still. I was 17. He was 20. And uh, but in our world, you know, you can't have sex before marriage. So a lot of people get married right out of high school and uh, or very young, let's just say. And it's very um, that uh, in retrospect, I would be able to trace as the turning point of my faith that ended my relationship with evangelical Christianity. The And when I say evangelical for me, that's like the purity culture kind of Christianity. Um, and it wasn't until I was 21 that I lost my faith completely and found myself an atheist. Um, and for a while, for the record, I was a very angry atheist. And now I'm a very happy atheist. So that assumption would have been true about me at a time. But um, And I can still get worked up. But it's like, I don't feel like anger is the driving emotion of my atheism anymore. Freedom is and happiness and mm -hmm. genuine joy. And yeah. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you introduce the... Uh, the subjective element of validating because it, it is a difficult conversation to have especially when you're reflecting back on your childhood going my parents were well-intentioned they're not abusive people and they weren't deliberately imparting trauma but then you bring in the subjective element that goes but as a kid i needed this i internalized this scenario as traumatic because of this and it could be you know a innocuous scenario where you know nothing You'd look at it from the outside and go, how would that cause any trauma? But then introducing that subjective element really 
makes us think about the different levels that operate within, I suppose, development and religion as a whole. Because listening to your parents' belief, I, that would that would be something where they go, okay, God, they're, they're taking the Bible seriously. They're taking Jesus seriously. I've spoken to a few people that they, they read it and they do what it says. Whereas a lot of Christians, when I grew up growing to, going to church, you see... Oh yeah, we should rely on God for subsistence. We should do all these things, but then ah, we go out and work, and and we go and make sure we got our savings, and we got our superannuation, and and yeah. then if if you get sick, you better go to the doctor. Ah, we're we're also praying for healing, but we're yeah. going to the doctor. And it sounds like your parents, <laughs> yeah, like this is a genuinely to be applauded. Like this is the faith that Christians would really hold up and go. Now that is taking it seriously. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, a lot of people did see it that way. A lot of people would see us as like a very um, inspirational family, like a, a like like wow, like they're really walking their talk. You know, like it's not just talk to them. Like they're they're like mm. like living examples of you know when Jesus says um, to sell everything and give to the poor and come follow me we kind of did that, you know, like for, for a time. And, uh, you know, when he says you'll be hated and, you know, by mother and brother and father, and you should hate them back. Like, you know, these verses that I'm using are, you know, everyone's got a different, I can just see it now. The Christians be like, well, that's not what actually Jesus meant, blah, blah, blah. And that was added later, blah, blah, blah. spare me the apologetics. Um, so, <laughs> but yes, yes. It's well, and, and for me, you know, Okay, there probably there probably is anger there. I also just feel like there's just incisive logic there, and just like no, like this is even first of all, no one knows what Jesus meant. Anyone who thinks they have the arrogance to say what Jesus meant is like you're probably not a very trustworthy person. Like because how do you how do you know? You know, like we can trace historic certain points of historical data, but how do we know what anyone means even now? <laughs> um, but. Uh, unless we can really delve into it uh, in spaces like you're providing here. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I do think that a lot of people uh, saw my family through that lens and probably a lot of them also saw my family through a very different lens of um, like, whoa, no, no, no. God helps those who help themselves. Like what you're doing is like child neglect or something. Even, even just from my mom's, my parents' decision to homeschool us, a lot of people had problems with that. Um, and you know, it's interesting, the homeschooling debate that's going on right now, especially in the ex-evangelical community, as it were, um, I feel pretty lucky. I had a pretty good homeschooling education from college educated parents. Um, but I also am I'm deeply sympathetic to the fact that so many people didn't. And I understand why they're pushing for more regulation of homeschooling. Um, so that, but yeah, that, that's a side note. Anyway, I do think I can see multiple ways of how my family came across both to people in and outside of religion. Um, I don't think, I don't think a lot, I think at best from non-religious folks, we just looked like a really adventurous, fun family. Like, wow, they're like traveling, living in national parks, like getting to like live a dream that many people would would love to have. Um, and sometimes it felt like that. Sometimes it really did feel like an adventure. You know, I got to see the only state I haven't been in is North Dakota. And I could say that at like, I don't know, by the time I was 21 or something, you know, like, cause I, I've just seen so many, I've been so many places and I'm so grateful for that. So um, it certainly wasn't all 
uh, hard. There were fun moments, but the overall experience of it was uh, very challenging for me. But, you know, for my siblings, a lot of them really liked it. And, you know, mm-hmm. I was 13 during the bulk of our traveling. So that's also just an extra tough age to be even under the most mm-hmm. stable of circumstances. So, mm-hmm. but yeah. <laughs> I can t- I can see why, as I listen to you, I can see why some Christians, friends of the, friends of the show, might think, Alice... It doesn't sound like you were ever truly a Christian. I can understand why they might be saying that because as you talk, you're describing the fact that you didn't fit within this belief system. You didn't have these experiences, whether it be neurologically or or your mind didn't work that way. Why do you think that... So two questions here. When you look around at maybe your siblings or the other people in the charismatic movement having these spiritual experiences... Do you think they are actually having these experiences? Um, And why is it that you, why do you think that you didn't? You're saying you kind of never had that. Because some people you talk to, they go, listen, this crazy thing happened. Like an angel fully came down and I was like, whoa. And it was, you know, like describing some kind of LSD trip. And they go, whoa, like this is, (laughs) this is crazy. I will never not believe in God because of this. And it sounds like. You're like, it never happened to me. I was in these spaces. I was doing these things. My parents were the most faithful people ever. Just didn't click for me. Why do you think that is? Is that like personality? Is that like an Enneagram number? Is it like neurological, (laughs) genetic? Like, what do you think that is? Uh, All of the above. So actually, this is is a subject that... um... I touch on briefly in my book towards towards the end because this is ultimately what brought me personally a lot of closure and allowed me to move forward with my life and not be such the angry atheist and to find more compassion for myself and for other people of faith. I do think it was real to them. I do think that the experience of what some call God, other call Kundalini, other people call their spirit guides, um, I do think that uh, that it's real to them. I'm not going to say I think that it's real, but neither am I ever going to invalidate the subjective reality that someone else is experiencing. And um, there's a lot of scientific data to back up the validity of their of their experiences. And I tend to um, prefer the lens of neuroscience and um, I suppose evolutionary psychology a little bit too. Um, I'm not. I'm certainly not an expert. I'm just a hobbyist uh, learner that needed to understand these things to the extent that they help me move forward and find find peace. Um, so the short, the sh- yeah, the the short answer is like I think that some people genetically are more hardwired to have uh, what I would call mystical experiences. Um, soberly induced mystical experiences, because arguably an LSD trip, it's a mystical experience, but it's not soberly induced. You're taking a substance and it doesn't care if you have faith or not, you're going to experience something. Um, I love it for that reason. (laughs) Uh, So uh, whereas like to have a Holy Spirit type of mystical experience, first of all, you usually have to have faith. And there's definitely been stories of people were like, I went in so skeptical, I wasn't a believer. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit fell upon me and I could not deny God. And that's how I became born again. I've heard so many testimonies like that. So Arguably, you don't even need faith to have a Holy Spirit experience, but you need to have the right set of circumstances, Um, the right genetic makeup. First of all, not everyone's wired. Uh, Dopamine plays a huge role in one's ability to have a soberly induced mystical experience or not. Um, There's other there's other uh, chemicals that go off in our brain. Oxytocin's a big one. Um, And I think that uh, hip. So 
I guess the nutshell answer, this is getting such to be a big nutshell, but um, between genetics and hypnosis uh, and placebo effect, I think are, are the, the three elements to why some people can have a genuine soberly induced mystical experiences and others cannot will vary. I, maybe I shouldn't say cannot, but are far less likely to. I never did. And what I understand now is like, oh, I didn't have the right makeup to, to uh, have the odds in my favor to have that happen to me. As a kid, of course, I thought it was because there's something wrong with me, um, something deeply broken and sinful that meant God was leaving me out and why God kept ignoring me. Meanwhile, he's giving like visions and Holy Spirit slings to everyone else. And it must be because I'm such a bad sinner. Um, I'm not doing enough to please him. So I would do more and more and more and try to be the goodest, purest, most earnest girl that I could and still nothing. Um, and by the time I was a teenager, I just gotten used to it. And I just gotten used to faking my way through it because I didn't want anyone to know. Um, I could barely admit it to myself because it was too painful to, to admit. Um, now looking back, I can have so much more compassion um, for, for all the the people that for a while I was angry at of like, and I was angry at God. And that's another mind effery uh, to be angry at and grieve someone who you don't even believe exists. <laughs> that's a whole other thing. But I did have a lot of anger that I didn't know what to do with for a long time. And a lot of it was just mainly at time lost and experiences had and trauma accrued that didn't need to be. Um, but whatever it was, you know, mo moving forward with, love and compassion um for myself and others like it really it really helped explain that it helped demystify faith to me and that was invaluable just understanding um the field a lot that i learned from the field of neurotheology which is basically the the neuroscience of what we would call um, religion or spirituality and so it makes sense to me and i absolutely think that the experience again the experience of what some people call god and other people call other names, um, absolutely is real. Uh, they're, they're very much experiencing something. I also think a lot of them are faking it like me, um, all of us for our own reasons, but yeah, I, 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 it's it, the, to me, the data is there. It's inarguable. The, the, the brain scans are there. Something can definitely happen to people undergoing some sort of, um, spiritually induced trance state. Mm -hmm. The, everything you're talking about, um, and we've got the conventional Christians who, who would go, no, no, it, it is God. But then you'd say you've got the Rob Bells of the world, um, friend of the show, Rob Bell, who, who came on recently. I feel like if you were explaining this stuff to him, you know, a very progressive Christian, one of these like slippery types who's like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, all these things, but he'd hear what you're saying and go, of course. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly what happens. And, and I feel like you might say, and so therefore, you know, it's not God, it's just chemicals. And he'd go, oh, well, perhaps both. Like, why these chemicals? Like, of course, it's it's all of those things you're talking about. And it wouldn't phase this kind of like deconstructed, progressive, Rob Bell, Richard Raw type of, of Christian that I suppose both atheists and Christians really dislike because they, they don't sit neatly into one of these boxes. What? Did you go through that kind of deconstructed progressive apologetic type version of Christianity where 
it kind of accepts all these callings from atheism and might say, yeah, you're describing the material reaction of what happens when we have that God experience, but it doesn't necessarily mean that there is no nothing greater out there that we are actually connecting through, through this neurological thing. Yeah. Some people have it, some people don't. What's your take on that approach? Yeah, so what I hear you saying is like a lot of... Um Christians or, or people of spirit, people of faith, people to whom the spirit realm, whether it's in Christianity or another, another type of thing. Uh, I, cause I, I have had people talk with me about this and I, I, for a long time, I feel like, um, I was very, I did struggle a lot with those sort of like in between liberal Christians because it didn't, it just wasn't at all. There's nothing recognizable about it to me in the way that I understood Christianity, but I've learned to recategorize as like, Oh no, this is like, progressive Christianity. It's its own thing. It's completely separate. And so I've had to, in my own mind, sort of compartmentalize it and separate it, even though a lot of the words are still the same and the book we're all quoting is still the same. Um, so I think that it's, uh, when I was a Christian before I was deconstructing, and I guess for a little bit when I would still consider myself, um, in retrospect, I think, I think, yeah, I did have a period of progressive Christianity what that meant to me was that I could still be a Christian, believe in God, but just believe that God also loved gay people and believe that uh, God didn't care if I had sex before marriage. Um, a lot of it boiled around sex. Uh, and I, <laughs> so I think that I, I, uh, I've, I used the argument of like um, to explain evolution because, you know, evolution and creationism are classically at war. I was raised with a creationist like history book. It was a Christian homeschooling history book, but I was raised to be a creationist. But then when I got older and I was like, no, but there's actually a lot of I don't know. I, I don't think God planted these dinosaur bones to test our faith. I think they were actually dinosaurs. I think they're actually pretty, pretty old. And I was like, why couldn't God have designed evolution to be a part of it? So just the way someone might see like the, the, the neurological happenings of the Holy Spirit um, as like, of course, that's what's going on. Of course, that is. It's all part of God's design. Like, that's just the evidence of God, you know, like, like, like I can see that very matter of fact point of view. Um, and that's great. Like, I, I love that uh, people can I, I greatly admire people who can have those um those things coexist because I have to, I just have to assume it's because God is so real to them that anything, anything that, that you see, it doesn't refute God's realness to, to them. So of, of course that it would just affirm their faith more than um, challenge it, at least for a time. I know there's plenty of people who have been challenged once they've delved into neuroscience or physics is a big one. Um, but uh, for me personally, it's like, I don't, I I don't, yeah, I don't believe in anything. That's not to say that I know and I'm convinced there's nothing there. Um, I think everyone's an agnostic. I think some people are agnostic Christians and some people are agnostic atheists. Some people are agnostic Hindus because I don't think anyone really knows. Um, we know what's been true for us and what's not. Um, how can we say what what is and claim to know for, for everything, for all of existence? So um, I, I just know that I don't believe there's a God. Um, like, it's cool if that makes sense to you, as long as you're not pushing it on anybody else. But like, I'm not going to waste any more of my life believing something that was never real to me. Um, if it's been real to you, of course, that makes sense that you believe in it. Of course, if it was real to me, 
maybe. And the people who I really feel sympathetic for are, are the people deconstructing to whom God also was real at one point, you know, on, on that experiential level that I didn't have, like the people who actually did get slain by the spirit who are now no longer Christians. Like, what do they make of that now? You know, like I know what I make of it, but that's gotta be a lot. That's gotta be such an extra challenging layer to deconstruct. Um, So I feel, I feel very sympathetic to it, but there it's easy for me to, I guess what I'm saying is it's easy for me to be flippant and intellectualize all these things back. Like, oh, of course. Um, I don't mean to sound flippant, uh, like, cause this is, this is heartbreaking, <laughs> heartbreaking stuff for, for many, many people. Um, for me, I, I've, the more I learn, the more it disaffirms any sort of, um, creation theory or God, especially the Christian God. Uh, but I, it makes sense to me why the more some people learn, like I have a friend who's, who he teaches science and he's still very much a Christian and for him, it just affirms the existence of God. And so I, I get that. I think, um, I think again, like, and what I try to advocate for is, um, just being true to what's true to you. Um, and, and, uh, God just never was true to me. And I respect that he, she, they, them, it, all of that. Um, is to a lot of people. Do I wish it wasn't sometimes because unfortunately these words like God and Jesus are perpetuating a lot of harm um, that I observe. But I also think that humans invented religion. So humans are the problem, um, not religion. Uh, because in my, my opinion, no religion is real. Uh, it's it's uh, just a bunch of stories that we made up to better understand ourselves and the world that we live in and the cosmos and um, emotion. And I think it's, uh, yet it also makes sense to me how these stories just took hold um, and why they keep such a strong hold to this day. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you found those stories not helpful and the picture of the universe you were handed didn't line up with your own, this internal war that goes, humans are either evil and you're inside going, oh, that means I'm evil. I don't feel like this is necessarily true and you're, you're, you kind of had to rebuild a world outside of that. And it's interesting you brought up the, this, this word recategorize because the pushback you get with like this spectrum of religiosity, so to speak, your conservative conventional Christian, your progressive Rob Bells of the world who the, who the conservative Christians say, hey, they're not really Christians because he's reinterpreting the Bible and doing all this like this fancy stuff. But then Rob Bell would say, oh no, like I've done the research this is actually what it means. I've just done a bit more reading. And then you've got people like yourself that, or you've got your atheists that on some level agree with the categorization used by the conventional Christians that would also say to the Rob Bells, you're not Christian either. And then that, but they'd also say, this is what Christianity is. And, and, paint that picture of the universe of, okay, there is no God for other people. And then you've got yourself, which I'm hearing, which is a bit more of like a, God's never been real for me. I don't think I can make these categorical evangelical fundamentalist claims about the universe. I can understand people's life experience leading to these recategorization of terms. Um, Cause I find the resistance in these conversations comes around categorization of term. It, the conversation between the conservative and the liberal seems to be that neither, well, the liberals redefined it and moved to a different spot and might still be using the same word. 
but the conservative goes, no, no, this is what it means. It will always mean this. You're wrong. And it's, that seems to be that disagreement there. So it's interesting that when you say, oh, you've been able to recategorize that seemed that I get this indication that it softens you enough to allow others to go, okay, you believe in a God and your life experience has led you there. Okay, then I won't comment on that. Is that sound about right as to where you sit? Pretty much. Like I won't, I, I won't say it hasn't been a challenge. Like it is, it is still an ongoing challenge um, because, because here again, it, it, it does come down to definitions. Like when, what does the word Christian mean to me? Christian meant that you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again. So by my definition growing up, denominations were all Christians. Catholics are Christians too, even if they do pray to Mary. At the end of the day, they believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for our sins and rose again. And that the way to get to heaven, because it comes down to heaven and hell um, for me, is the, the way to get to heaven is through acceptance of Jesus as your savior, you know, John 3.16. Um that to me is how I use the definition of the word Christian. And it's it's interesting to me when I meet people who identify as Christians who don't believe in hell or who don't believe that Jesus is the son of God who died for their sins, because maybe they don't even believe in sin, but they like a lot of what Jesus says. And they like a lot of like the quotes from the Bible about um, being, being humble, ha- having compassion and giving to the poor, you know, like, so how I've, uh, because I still have a lot of my wiring grew up under my a little bit more, a lot more fundamentalist belief system. It is difficult. Like I could feel my brain like fritzing sometimes trying to like ah, understand. Um, and what's given my brain peace and allowed me to, to try to um, not get caught up on semantics is to recategorize. It's like, oh, in my mind, you're Christian inspired you don't actually believe Jesus is the son of God who died for our sins um, and is the only way to heaven. So like, you're not really a Christian in my mind. I'm just sharing. People can call themselves and identify however they want. And I will do my damnedest to respect that and honor that and, and refer to them how they want to be referred to. I wouldn't try to argue with a friend to be like, no, you're actually not a Christian. It's like, no, like you are a Christian. You're just not the type of Christian under the definition that I grew up with. And I'm grateful that people are, are rebranding Christianity um, because I do feel like my definition of Christianity, at least in the United States, um, does seem to be, to, to my own experiences, even outside of the churches I went to, most people's definition of Christianity. It's like, oh yeah, a Christian believes Jesus is the son of God and died for our sins, um, regardless of what other, other nuances of denomination or branch we believe in. Um, and so for me to witness this whole um, progressive Christianity movement, I've, I've had such mixed feelings about it. Part of me for a long time and still is just so deeply confused of like, wait, like how, like, I, I don't, I don't, there's so much I don't understand about it. And then where I've come to, I've gotten little glimmers of understanding and Ultimately, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm choosing to focus on the positive aspects that I see, which whether I'd agree with it or not, Christianity is still the world's biggest religion. Uh, Islam's right up there with it. And if we can make Christianity a more loving place because of progressive Christians being like, 
no, like Jesus was all inclusive. There is no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as hell, like fly your fucking flag, you know, like, and God loves you. It's about love. Cool. Like, as long as this is going to be the world's main religion, let's have more of those people in it. Um, and less judgment, less fear, um, less control, more freedom, more affirmation, more, more, uh, empathy. Um, I was going to say love, but you know, we're taught God is love and the God of the Bible is just a, a heinous to me. Um, so the word love in a Christian context is still very loaded for me. Um, I, I observe love in humans. I've never found love in faith. Um, and so, empathy I find in humans. I never got empathy from God because God wasn't real to me, um, nor did I find empathy from many Christians. There was just a lot of concern, aka judgment. Um, so instead of desire to genuinely understand and sit with and think and feel with, um, which it was also confusing because we're told that's what we're doing. That's what the point of the prayer circle is. It never mm. felt good to me. <laughs> mm. I, I want to touch on something that is a uniquely American phenomenon. And yes, <laughs> it's your, your de as you deconstruct and move from category that you categorize it from Christian to atheist, what is this political deconstruction that happens at the same time? I was looking at your webpage on your blog, and I think you wrote an article after the uh, Capitol Hill riots and they're going into the, like, I'm like, mate, mate, you'd never get that many Australians to care about something to riot somewhere. Um, although there are a few protests <laughs> going on at the moment, so you might get a couple, but it, it seems to be this unit, like Christianity and, and Republicanism are very closely tied. What has been your experience politically? And this is where we spoke about before where you're like, Oh, am I allowed to talk about this kind of stuff? Which, which brings up the religiosity because um, Richard Raw, who would probably fit the category of progressive Christian, um, but he's Catholic as well. So um, he would say he's very orthodox. He, would, he says that like he never gets more angry letters when he critiques politics or capitalism. He, and, and he goes, that's an indication that that is the true religion. The thing that is beyond critique, that is the idol of society. And that's the, and so that's what I notice in when you say, oh, like, this is the touchy topic. And so as much as you want to kind of talk about it, what has been your journey from Christianity to atheism and the political movement that happens? Because what seems to happen with a lot of people that have deconstructed Christianity, they go, they seem to, by stereotype, get more quote unquote politically progressive. All of a sudden they go, mm, well, actually gay marriage is actually, I think, okay, because there's no God condemning it. And you know what? I think I do actually really love the refugee and want to work out how to not have this closed door policy or, or use them as political pawns. What has been your journey? Has there been any shift in, in that direction? Ooh, so I think, um, so I, like I said, I lost, I, I lost my faith, I guess, 14 years ago now. Um, so a while ago, uh, there was, the country looked different, you know, uh, there wasn't quite the political, certainly for myself, the political awareness that I would say I have had to have develop today. Um, so back then my, my deconstruction, 
the political part of my deconstruction definitely became um, a lot more liberal in the sense of like, you know what, if God's not real, that means that there's, there's nothing sinful. There's no such thing as sin. Um, because there, there's ethics, yes, you know, like not stealing is a pretty good ethic. It has nothing to do with sin. Um, but when I took away the sin element, I couldn't find anything unethical about two girls loving each other. There's nothing unethical about that. So that wasn't sinful. I, I tried to reframe sin as, I guess, ethics is how I would articulate it now. And at the time, I guess it was more just like, there's nothing, if there's nothing wrong with it, if, if, if whatever's done with someone's consent, as long as it's not hurting anybody and it's with everyone's consent, do whatever you want. Um, get, get married, like have sex, have orgies, uh, do drugs, you know, like, like some drugs are, are harmful, but if you're doing it to yourself in your own body, I think that's your right to do. <laughs> um, I'm very much an advocate for autonomy. And so here's, here's, here's a, a sticky thing today that uh, I feel like my liberal LA crowd is not, would not be in agreement with me. I'm very against vaccine mandates. I'm very against vaccine passports, vaccine requirements. I understand why everyone wants everyone to get vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. I want everyone to get vaccinated. Um, I am pro-vaccine. But do I think it should be a requirement to go get food? A basic survival need? Do I think it should be a requirement to keep your job, which sustains you? No. I feel very strongly about this. Um, and there's, I know there's so many good friends who would vehemently disagree with me. Maybe I'll get unfriended, watch a bunch of my followers go. <laughs> um, but it, that's fine because to me, this is an issue of bodily autonomy versus greater good. That's how I've, I, that's the lens that I see it that everyone's talking about, but it's for everyone. We all need to get through this together. We have to look out for our neighbors. We have to look out for the vulnerable, for the immunocompromised. Um, get on with our fucking lives. I want to stop wearing a face mask when I go out. You know, so do I, so do I. But we're talking about something that's invasive. We're talking about something you cannot take out of your body, something going into your body. I understand why a lot of people are hesitant. Um, it is experimental still, you know, and like a lot of people are counter arguing that, um, oh, well, vaccine requirements are nothing new. You know, if I want to travel here, I have to have these vaccines. Yeah, if you want to travel, which that itself is such a privilege. Um, it's a privilege to be vaccinated. It's a privilege to be healthy enough to be vaccinated. It's a privilege to be able to order your groceries on Instacart and cook them at home if you don't want to like go to a restaurant because you're not vaccinated. There's so much um, people like to throw out the word privilege all the time. Like, this is my take. It's like, no, that's mm, ugh, I'm just stepping over my words here because it's such a it's such a loaded topic right now that I'm that I feel is uh, not. I don't know. I don't see many people who are pro vaccine against the vaccine mandate. And that's where I find myself. I am pro vaccine. Um, but I don't think it should be a mandate. And uh, that's so getting back to the political deconstruction, that's an element where people might say, oh, you're more on the Republican conservative side of things, um, because at least in my circles, to be a liberal Democrat, you're for the vaccine mandates. <laughs> um, so that's just an example of like where I'm at in real time with all that. Um, looking back at my deconstruction, yeah, things like abortion, uh, that's still a hot debate, like, because are, is it harming someone else without their consent? My believer self would be like, yeah, because I believed it was a human life. 
the other part of me can still see how like a fetus is a, a human life, but it's also a life inside another life. Um, for the record, I am pro-choice um, quite adamantly. Uh, and I, I, but there's still a part of me that can understand that Christian argument or even non-Christian. You don't have to be a Christian to be pro-life. Um, those two often go hand in hand in this country. But there, if you look up atheists pro-life, you'll find them. You'll, they're out there. I did for an article. I was like finding them. So it's, uh, it's interesting. I do think that... Um, you know, religion and politics do go hand in hand quite a lot in this country. Um, and I think that what, what you just said, you quoted uh, someone else who was saying, you know, the true idols, the true religion, you know, if you talk about capitalism and what was the other one? Uh, capitalism and just politics in general. Yeah, I, I those, I don't know. I, th I think um, my gut agrees with that. I'd have to give that more thought, but my gut, agree my gut tends to agree. Uh, I do think the, the type the type of Christian that I found myself as a teenager, especially my, my family lived in Kansas City for a while, and um, the youth groups that I was involved in there and in Colorado definitely leaned a lot more political. And maybe it was just because I was older, but it felt like we were warriors for God. And to be a prayer warrior meant you... Um, you prayed for things like George Bush to win the election. You prayed against abortion. You prayed against gay marriage. And when you were old enough to vote, you voted against these things. Like it was a very heavy indoctrination. I went to Washington, D.C. at uh, 14 years old to pray on the Capitol Mall for God to bring our country back to him. Um, make America godly again was the precursor to make America great again. So it's like it's and it's still very it's still there. Um and now all those kids are my age. We're all the same age. And now those are, it's about the average age of the people who had the Capitol riots. And I could have, I don't know if I could see myself among them had I stayed in, in that belief system, but I can very much understand their thinking because that type of Christian believes that there's um, an invisible war taking place. Spiritual warfare is, is like so real to them. And to stay fighting on God's side and not go to hell you have prayer and politics are like this. You have to be a godly country. So God will spare your nation when Jesus comes again and the abomination is going to happen. It gets very mythological. Um, and it, saying it out loud, it's like, wow, yeah, I totally believe these things. There's so many different facets to the Christ, different Christian churches that I grew up in. And definitely the political part was, was, a big part of it. And I feel like that pretty much that was relatively easy for me to change. I want to say when I left my faith, um, I think it's natural for a lot of deconstructing people to swing to the other far liberal side of things. Um, I think that's a very natural reaction. And for a lot of people that is their authentic truth that maybe they were just never allowed to express in, within Christianity or whatever faith they came from. Um, for me, uh, any political party test I take says I'm libertarian. So whatever that- yeah, I'd, I'd <laughs> put you there. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very much like, I, I think that personal autonomy, personal freedom, especially if it comes to your body, whether we're talking about abortion or vaccines, when it has to do with your body, I just hold the body is so sacred and your relationship with your body is so sacred. It, it doesn't get more free than when we're talking about your body and what you can and can't do with it and how you can and can't survive with it. Um, so what I, 
you know, there's definitely a bit of an idealist in me that people have challenged that, you know, people, a, a common argument back toward libertarianism I hear is, yeah, but you give people a lot more credit than they're, than they're due. Most people are stupid and ignorant, and they're not going to take personal responsibility to exercise their autonomy in a socially responsible way. Fair, maybe. I don't know. I don't like assuming that most people are stupid and irresponsible, but maybe they are. I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I'd rather err on the side where I'm at today, and my, my opinions could grow and change, but where I'm at today, I'd rather err on the side of more personal liberty and freedom than not, whether it's from a Republican or Democratic side of things. As I connect these ideas we're talking about, I think religion and politics, the general, the general belief is that we, we separate them intellectually we go no no uh, they sh they should always be separate and if a pastor was to get up and talk which does happen i guess sometimes less so in australia where more too lazy or just don't care enough about this kind of stuff which we should we probably should care um but if they don't get up and and on the on the pulpit start preaching a political opinions people's general reaction who might be christian going oh i don't know he needs to talk more about god and less about politics and then and and then if you if you're going to take your religion seriously, surely you if if you've been changed by this religion, that will change your politics. That will change who you who you vote for, who you think. Like if if you're suddenly prioritizing the poor, you might go, okay, what's the best policy for the poor? Who has that? I'm going to vote for that. And so in a way, the connection between Republican Christ and Republicans and Christianity is it makes sense because they go, okay, well the Bible. Well, the Bible doesn't say anything about abortion, but the pop culture interpretation of what Christianity stands for, for whatever political reasons I won't go into as far as like manipulating voting blocks and things like that, Christians go, okay, well, if you're Christian, you're anti-abortion, you're anti-homosexuality. And there's a few buzz buzzword kind of issues there. And the religion is the shortcut to which kind of politics, which, which makes it easy for many American Christians to go, oh, well, I'm a Republican. Country's got to go back to God, as you say. That's the way I'm going to vote. But it sounds like as you're, as you're taking that shortcut out, going, okay, what's my shortcut to politics? I wouldn't even say necessarily it sounds like it came from the Bible. It sounds like it came from the culture surrounding Christianity because Christians in Australia often might have a different take to Christians in America, meaning... And they both both might sure. might be conservative, and so once you remove that shortcut to the political, it sounds like you've had to go back to some kind of basic or or pick up other tools to your disposal to go. How do I navigate complex debates? Let's say about vaccines or abortion or these things. Is is that what I'm hearing? has happened to you as you've gone, okay, well, this culture, all these answers are now null and void because I've pulled, I've deconstructed from that. How do I reconstruct my, because the themes I'm hearing is that you're saying, I'm, I'm wanting to move towards more freedom, towards more openness, towards more acceptance, towards more what people might call love, which you hesitate to for obvious reasons. Um, and then you go, well, what does that look like politically? Is it the case that you've had to go, pick up maybe different philosophical, political tools or economic tools to try and answer these questions that once were easy answers given to you by a culture? Hmm. I wouldn't say I've necessarily gone out to try to look for tools to guide, to sort of like help me fine tune my 
political views, if that's what you're saying. I, um, I feel like, hmm, I feel like my compass. So first of all, I view politics as an expression of values, uh, is a thought that comes to me. And certainly if someone very much values their faith, their political decisions and leanings and the way they vote is going to reflect that. Um, I think, I think our votes reflect our values. And when my values were based on the Bible verses that my churches focused on under the interpretations that we all did, and there was so much diversity of interpretation, even within my more niche subcircles, um, it was a lot of very open to interpretation, actually, because it's whatever the Holy Spirit's telling you. Um, and that's very broad. There's a lot of leeway with that. Um, and a lot of people, if they disagree with you, they'd say, well, you're taking advantage of God's grace. That's not actually what he meant. He's not that loving. Uh, did <laughs> um, anyone ever say God was telling me to vote for Clinton or for Al Gore? I'm sure they did. Not, not, not to my recollection, not to anyone <laughs> okay, I encountered, yeah. but I'm sure there were plenty of Christians that felt that way because yeah, some Christians, they value the the parts of the Bible that focused on helping the poor, befriending the outcasts. Other Christians focused on Jesus is coming and we need to get our country ready to be spared when we all get raptured. So whatever we need to do to stay aligned with God's word is paramount. Otherwise we're all going to be burning in a torturous landscape called the great tribulation. So it's all coming from love. That's the way I see it. And the way that I would use love, I think most people's motives are loving. They're really operating from a place that they believe is best for themselves, for their families, for their children, for their friends, for the world. And so for me, I was much more of a dominionist leaning Christian, which was a lot more Jesus' second coming, the book of Revelations, a lot more focused on that. And so it didn't matter what the world thought of me and how crazy I was for how I voted and what I prayed for, because the bigger picture that I just thought people couldn't see was there's a war coming. Like Satan and his army of demons are coming for us, guys. And you can call me crazy, but I'm going to fast and pray for abortion to be banned, for gay marriage to be banned, because we need to stay on God's side. And if you're too short-sighted to see that, I'm still going to pray for you. Um, that's how I was. And so I can see that mentality and maybe I'm giving more benefit of the doubt, even with a, within a Christian mindset to a lot of these far right Christians. But when I hear them talk, people like Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, I see, here's what I see. I don't, again, who knows what anyone really means about what they say, whether it's Jesus or Mike Pence, but I see an earnestness there. I see I see a fervent earnestness there and little snippets from interviews. They, they speak the terminology that I used to speak about spiritual war, um, about rapture, about, uh, you know, the second coming. And I think they really believe it. Uh, maybe they don't, but I think they do. And so from that place, I see that all of their policies are aligned with what their taught love is. So it's coming from love. And I also see the other side, say an atheist Democrat, who's like, that's not loving. Homophobia is not love. That's the opposite of love. I can see that side too. Um, personally, my political thing is like, I, where I am, what is love to me? I'm going to vote in accordance with my values. Um, what are What's ethical to me? Personal freedom is again, my most paramount ethic, um, bodily autonomy is part of personal freedom. So 
if you want to sleep with someone who wants to sleep with you, go for it. If you want to marry them, go for it. If you, whatever you want to do, you want to, whatever, whatever you want to do, if everyone's in consent about it, um, and we're all like adults here, like go for it. Um, it gets tricky with kids as we kind of touched on earlier, you know, that's a, that's still not there yet. Not a parent, not there yet. I'm sure one day I'll be able to have these talks from a, a more experienced place. But I think, um, when it comes to politics, we must give ourselves permission to change our minds. Same as with religion. We must continue to learn and educate ourselves as much as we can. And I hate that that's become a slur. People throw at each other. Educate yourself. Read a book. Yeah, yeah. It's so yeah. mean. It's science. Do You're your vilifying. own research. Do oh. your own research. Yeah, it's like, it's so presumptuous that people haven't done research. What they mean is read the books I read, read the research I do, listen to the podcasts I listen to and come to the same conclusions that I do. And we're, that's not advocating for reading or learning or educating. That's advocating for agree with me. And I don't support that. Um, and I, I, I cringe when people throw like, it's science, it's fucking science, because it's like, wow, do you want to make more people in opposition to science? Because that's what you're doing when you weaponize it that way. Um, and it makes me really sad. And I just have to like bite my tongue a lot. <laughs> I, I hear as you're talking, you know, you've, you've moved away from identifying as a Christian to identifying as an atheist. But I hear the, in some aspects, or probably a lot of aspects, according to different people, a movement towards like what you're talking about there. There's this movement towards grace. There's this movement towards believing the best in people, even in the Mike Pence's of the world who may be responsible for various economic policies that are destructive to certain communities or whatever people might think. You go, I, I've been in that world. I know that they call it love. And I know that, you know, there's metrics that indicate that it isn't loving, but because of that, like what you're calling this mythical worldview overlaid on top of reality, it, it like inverts it into love. And I hear you moving towards these ideals of grace, but that inherently makes, it makes the world complex, which I can see why people yeah. might resist it, might not understand really what you're talking about, especially in the political realm, because now this world is complex because yeah. now you can't just have, it, it's almost like, even if you're religious or not, we want this simple two-dimensional world that has good and that has evil. And when you're extending yeah. grace to all these people, you're making the world complex because you're removing the category of evil. You're going, everyone's trying to be good and there's incidental evils, but I can't put this person, even Mike Pence, perhaps even Donald Trump to get controversial, into that bucket of pure evil because maybe his mind genuinely thinks these things. Maybe, is it a lie if you believe in it entirely? Like, it, but that's an inherently complex and scary world, Alice, I think. And the, I can't help but he, see the connections. This might be a controversial connection that I'm drawing. I've been <laughs> recently talking to um, people about Islam because I like, Christianity is my wheelhouse. I understand it very well. Islam, the exact opposite of whatever my wheelhouse would be outside of the wheelhouse, perhaps. And I've got no, I've got no idea. And I, and as I hear people critique it, going, "Oh, there's something inherently flawed in Islam that's anti-democratic values and things like that," I hear in 
in the political critique of Christianity as well. Because if you believe in this spiritual realm that's overlaid reality that requires you to make governance reflect your religious worldview that the world's going to end in Revelation, I can't help see that connective tissue of like well-intentioned religiosity infringing upon political freedom in order to achieve the greatest good of all, which is salvation of all humanity. Um, I don't know. There's a connection. There's a connection I'm finding. I I don't know what what your take on that is, but I suppose the main point apart from that side note is that you've created a complex world, Alice. I can't just categorize people as, as evil and that makes it hard. Yeah. Um, I feel it's, I don't know, I'll be able to articulate it later, I'm sure. But I feel very emotional hearing you say that. Um, In some ways, I think because uh, I guess to use like, I don't know, young, young people colloquialism, it's like, I feel seen. (laughs) I feel feel seen. It's very nice. No, I feel it's good emotions. It's good emotions. Oh, good. I'll feel. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, I feel because, um, and I never heard anyone quite put it to me that way before that um, you, you mentioned like making the world more complex and removing evil. And I suppose it's something that um, I feel like, I guess I feel seen in the sense that I feel like you're, I feel like you're grasping and seeing um, uh, common data points or threads in, in what I'm saying and putting it together in a very gracious picture uh, that I feel um, I don't, I don't get to experience in real time often. So thank you for that. Uh, I appreciate that. (laughs) But yeah, I do, I do feel like, um, it does make the world more complex and why are, why, why would the world not be complex? Um, it's very confusing to me. It's both understandable and confusing to me why people want to simplify things and make things two dimensional and binary all amidst this push for non-binariness. It's very interesting how binary uh, things are, and it's it's a it's um you know I like things to be clear. I, I like people to mean what they say. That's a big ask. I like to I like to be able to say what I always mean. It's a big ask of myself. Um, do I think there's evil? That's a question I don't think I can answer. I, I would have said even maybe a couple of years ago, yeah, there's evil. I I don't know. I don't know. What I observe is there's I can find the good intention in pretty much everything. And maybe that's just because I like to play devil's advocate with myself a lot. And I just think too much and I try to give too much benefit of the doubt or maybe none should be given. Um, It doesn't mean that I think that there's horrors. It doesn't mean that I would like to murder some people. It doesn't mean that, uh, that I'm not also human, but I don't know. I think, I think uh, everyone's stance. I try to, I try to, I need it to make sense to me. Um, I just need to understand things. And uh, that makes the world very complex because the more that I try to understand, the more questions I ask, the more I don't have clean answers, the messier and also more exquisite it all becomes to me. Um, but I, you know, I understand why it's very disturbing um, to, to other people. Uh, Right now, it feels like a joyful experience and feels truthful for me to see the world that way. But I also can think like, I know from my own experience how destabilizing it is to no longer have mm-hmm. a binary worldview. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, I hear, I hear that common 
thread running through everything we've spoken about of you. I don't want to reduce it down to, to essentially what I'm saying, but one of the things I want to, um, I'm at least digesting myself is the idea that something within you physically, biologically, neurologically, like the way you thought, whatever forms a human, you didn't fit in that world. And then something about you drives you to ask questions, to pull apart. And you, you find freedom in, in identifying as atheist. You find freedom in allowing space for the complexity of humanity that's around you. But also I'm hearing you say you also understand some people's need for simplicity and some people's drive that might still be in the world that you left that go, that works for you. But I'm hearing at least through this and some of in your book, that's like you're finding where you fit within the world and you move from one world to another. What is it as, and it's interesting as someone who's written the book, people who read it will get something else out of it. And I'm sure it's interesting to hear like, Oh, what'd you, what'd you get out of it? What is it? (laughs) that you got out of the experience of going back and writing a book about your journey? What what did you get out of it? And I suppose, what do you hope people to get out of it? What I got out of it was understanding. Um, It's a, it's an exercise that people do in certain like therapeutic settings or rehabilitative settings to put a chronology to your life, to, to put a timeline to the peak moments of your life that helped shape you to who you are. Um, So just from like a writing exercise standpoint and a therapeutic standpoint, I got, uh, again, I just need to understand things. I like to understand how the world works. I like to understand people. I definitely like to try to understand myself. Help me understand myself. Help me understand the world that I grew up in. It helped me understand why I have certain um, mental habits or certain aversions to things that help me understand I don't know. I, I mean, it's endless what I got out of um, putting my my life into words through through that one lens. You know, like I once came across some writing advice that said, you know, a memoir is either usually about one sliver of life, like when you became paralyzed and how you overcame that, or it's about like the whole of your life, but through one lens. I kind of went that second route Um through the lens of faith and my relationship to faith and to the God that I, that I believed in that I no longer do. Um, so that, that gave me a lot of understanding. What, what I hope people get out of it um, is encourage. It's always been like just encouragement to let go of what is not true for you and to embrace what is true for you. If that's all, if, if I could just, that's it. Like, that's what I hope people get out of it is permission to question permission to evaluate for themselves, like what, what is serving me and what's real to me and what's not. So we don't waste any more of our precious time pretending um, and living for other people, whether that's because of a a religion or a political ideology. um, Is it true to you? Uh, And allow ourselves to change. Um, You know, I, I think that that's, that's it <laughs> really. Um, you know, and, and it's great when I hear people say what they got out of like, Oh, that helped me feel so validated. You know, that helped me understand my experience or, Oh, that helps me understand my brother and how he became born again. You know, Oh, that helps me understand. Like, I, I love hearing from people what they get out of it. Um, and 
you know, that's all just icing on the cake. The intention that I wrote it with and released it with has been fulfilled like tenfold, you know, like I've, I've been so lucky to hear from so many people that the book did reach. Um, and it was exactly why I wrote it. So I'm glad. And then anything else is like, Oh, that's, that's just so wonderful. You know? Um, yeah. But so I, but I, I wanted to ask you like your, your fascination with people deconstructing, whether they deconstruct to a more progressive form of faith or to atheism, um, of what, what is your, if you don't mind sharing your upbringing, your fascination with this, where you find yourself now, because it seems like a very, if, if, if you weren't raised religiously, it just seems like a very curious topic. I've gathered from our conversation so far that you did grow up in a Christian environment, but like how, what type of Christian, where, yeah, go. <laughs> yes. I, um, I grew up Adventist. If you've heard of mm. that, it's like, a. I guess conservative Baptists go to church on Saturday instead of Sunday. Um, I grew up like the liberal arm of it. And so like a little bit different, um, not, not, not super homeschooly or charismatic or anything like that. Um, (laughs) and, and as, as far as when, when people go, what do you think? What do you believe? The, I, I have a, a, a sidewall paywall that I've I've put up some of the things I think and I keep those numbers small because what I find in that question and that's not saying you're asking necessarily in that question but for listeners of the show and I've had it happen recently too people assume what I think and believe and I think that's fine you can people can assume yeah but that question is always generally a categorization of where do you belong and are you one of us are you a tribe and as I do this podcast, especially starting in the Christian deconstruction space, it, mat- it'll mat- it matters way less now that I'm talking about Islam and things like that because, um, because it's, it's evident I don't fit w- one of the good or bad boxes in that category. So in the Christian category, if you're like progressive or atheist or Christian, that'll determine who you can get on the show and how open they'll be, how honest they'll be. And so as I've done it, I've had... I don't know if it's good or not, but my, my thought process has just been, I don't share it because I find when I'm categorized, it limits access. And I think yes. even my openness to deconstruction and this way of thinking and talking to atheists like yourself um, has limited my access to certain Christians coming on because they, they'll hear it and go, oh, you know, you, you ask some hard questions and, you know, you might give them an easier ride than them or they, I don't know, they have an idea. And because if you belong in this more, I don't know, safer Christian world, even asking questions is dangerous. And that's what I'm doing. So the fact that I even ask questions does categorize me and it limits access. I've managed to get a few um, friends of the show that come on and have a good discussion. And, and that's really great. Uh, but that that's yeah. essentially where I unsatisfactory unsatisfactorily say um if you want to find out i do have a (laughs) tiny a tiny side project but for the for the podcast i'm trying to keep it um yeah identity free and i suppose the same will probably go with my political views uh i mean if you listen to the show long enough you'll glean them i reckon but but political that's a tribal thing as well and so if, if yeah. i don't want to lose access to the other side of the aisle so to speak whether that oh, be that totally you conservative or liberal 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that yeah. totally makes sense. I totally respect that because that, and that's smart because it's um because if you if your intention is to um to to learn and to share and to like share and like kind of flip and and counter people's expectations with the whole clickbaity titles and to um sh- you know derail assumptions like then yeah that keeps you free to do that without people assuming things about you um like I I specifically didn't ask until towards like after we conversed quite a while, because it's like, I didn't, I didn't want my answers to feel inhibited by what you might say, you know, for all I know, you're still very much, you, you might identify as a progressive Christian yourself. And maybe I would modify my responses in a way that would be a little, try to be a little bit more sensitive and gracious, not necessarily not true to me or what I think, but maybe tempered. Maybe you're a hardcore atheist, maybe even more militant than me. I don't know that either. So maybe I'm a Trump way, like, you know. <laughs> Maybe I'm a Trump voter. Who knows? Maybe you are. Well, well I can't be because I'm Australian. So unless you have yeah. American citizenship, <laughs> maybe one yeah, of your parents yeah, yeah. is American. I don't know. Yeah. But um. Yeah. But yeah, I I like uh, I kind of like that I didn't know too much mm-hmm. about you before before we talked because um it's you know I've I've gotten to do um a few podcasts by this point and they're always so much fun and they're also different from each other but it's been a while since I've done one like several weeks or so and um I like that I couldn't find too much about you to sort of in advance no, sort of, like set my you mindset won't, of like you won't get 41 <laughs> hot sexy pictures of Conrad um, go to my Instagram you might find one or two but <laughs> yeah no I I can totally appreciate uh your approach with that with what what you're doing so 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 to that to lastly to that when when say the other side of the aisle look at you and they say listen you 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 clearly have no moral compass anymore you're just doing what you think you're following your whims you're you're it's kind of hedonistic you're going well i've i make my own value and and i vote on my own values and if it's good for me and we consent, then there's no problem with it. There's no sacredness in human sexuality anymore. It's all, it, you're just this pursuit of pleasure. What's your response to that encounter you might have with somebody of where you came from? Um, I don't disagree with any of that. I am in pursuit of pleasure. I am in pursuit of hedonism. I am in pursuit of my own moral compass. I don't think there is a such thing as morality. I don't. I think that that changes. It's subjective. It's cultural. It's time related. Um, I don't think morality exists. I think um, everyone should act in accordance with their truth and their integrity. You're the one that has to live with you. I have to live with me. So I'm going to, um, whether it's political or religious or relational, whatever it is, I'm going to um, be as true to myself as I can. And I'd like to think that if we all did that, uh, it's, it's, too, it's too terribly grand to even imagine what the world could look like. Um, I like that there's, I, I like diversity in the sense that I like, I like borders. I like that you can believe this and here's your space to exercise that. I like that I don't have to wear a head covering I don't ever want to have to wear a head covering, but I like that you want to wear a head covering and you think that other women should. This is the space where you can enforce that. I feel so bad for all the people in that who don't want to be, but like, I like that we're not in a global world of morality because what if that was the ruling thing and we all had to do that? Like, I, I don't know. In my opinion, of course. What about ruling things? 
What about ruling things like, let's not kill each other. Let's not kill children. Because if I'm morally okay with <clears throat> like killing somebody and yeah. maybe in some weird scenario, that person's okay with me killing them. Like, is that totally cool? Like, is it, like where's this line, Alice? You, you're kind of yeah. deleted all lines. Like, where do you, where do you stop? So, you know, it's honestly, Conrad, one of my worst fears is ever having to sit on jury duty because it's, uh, it's very trying to enforce my ideals on someone. I feel sick to my stomach thinking about it, or even worse, trying to force my country's legal ideals onto someone that maybe I don't agree with their legal things. When it comes to things like murder for murder's sake, you know, like that, like, I think, you know, there's different reasons people kill. And even in the Bible, there's a time and place for killing. God is a murderous, war-hungry God. Like all of, so much of the Old Testament is just war. So for anyone, especially from a Christian background to say that, you know, killing is bad and that's moral. It's like, I don't know what book you're reading, but it's not the Holy Bible I read. Um, and it's, it's, uh, I, I think that for most people are, are, there's like individual ethics. And then there's also what evolution's given us and evolution's wired most of us for empathy. There are neurological outliers, sociopaths, you might call them, or psychopaths that do have different things going on in their brain in that type of sense. And we're, you know, people who actually get pleasure out of killing other people, they need to be contained or taken out. Frankly, that's how I view it because it's like you're the majority does not, uh, get pleasure from that. And you are, what you're doing is not just pleasing yourself. You're actively harming other people. Um, so the and, scenario that they'll throw at you from that, the scenario yeah. they'll say, and I'll wrap up after this. I just keep finding different no, threads. No, keep going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the scenario they'll throw at you is, is going like, well, if everyone voted democratically, that it's totally okay and cool to sacrifice children to the, to the God of Yahweh or whichever, um, you'd yeah. be cool with that. Uh, that happened. Would I be construct. cool? Would I be cool personally in that society? If if I grew up in that society, maybe I would be, but I didn't. I think we're all products of our society, and we all have our own personal experiences that we bring to it. So no, I'm not cool with that personally. But if I'm going to a place where they still do that, personally, I don't think I'd want to go to a place where they do that. But if I found myself there, I don't think that it's a. Uh, I don't. I don't think that. I'm not idealist, idealistic enough to think that I'm going to be the colonial savior and change this backwards way of life. <laughs> like, that, look how that's turned out. Like, I don't know. Um, I, I've, I've, I feel like nature is, I've said before, nature is my morality. Like if it happens in nature, like clearly it's true. <laughs> um, murder happens in nature. A lot of things happen in nature. Vengeance happens in nature too. I take a little bit more of a playground justice stance on these things. <laughs> um, uh, I think that, again, maybe that's, some people might call that libertarian or anarchic, um, but it's, uh, yeah, my, my moral compass, that, that's, uh, who, who gets to say what should be legal or not legal? That's the debate we're having right now with these vaccines, you know, like I, it's such a complicated thing that I, I don't like law, um, but I understand the need for it. Do I want to abolish the police? Nope, not in that camp either. Um, that makes me a little bit more conservative leaning in my circles as well. So it's a, I don't know, there's there's a murder occurs in nature and other more heinous crimes. So does vengeance. So does punishment. So does ostracism. So it's not like I think there shouldn't be consequences for harmful actions. 
But uh, I think that it's what's moral is not only incredibly subjective on an individual level, but very relative on a cultural time and place level. Um, that's that's my candid answer right now. <laughs> as 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 you unpack, as I hear you moving towards this position of more grace, but then mention things like vengeance happens. Yeah. Where do you sit on things like vengeance then after you've made seemingly made room for the differences of the other? Um, I think if I wanted to enact vengeance and that's that's like say say someone like really hurt someone I loved, like in like a physical way, like beat up, beat up my little sister or something. And I'm seeing it happen. Like I feel who's to say this is one of those morality exercises. Who knows what they'd actually really do in real time. You know, would you turn the train to this track and kill five people or keep it killing one, but it's a child, you know, these sorts of like ethical mind games, they're fascinating to me. And so disclaimer, who knows what we'd actually do, but I feel like I'd, I'd like to think that if I saw someone beating up my sister, I'd have no problem doing whatever I could to stop it, beating them back, bludgeoning them over the head, maybe taking a hammer if it's nearby, maybe it would result in death. I don't know, but I'm very aware of my own primal instinct, instinct, and I'm very aware of others. And I think that too often our moral high ground is an utter denial of human nature and how we're wired as animals. And I think that that's where we get ourselves into a lot of trouble because we're not, um, we're not looking at what is we're looking at what we want to be. And that's very dangerous in my opinion. Mm. I feel like that's probably a good place to end it where I think you've just <laughs> exposed yourself as, I don't know if this is something you expose regularly, but I think you do. You're pretty good at Dungeons and Dragons. And I feel like that's why you're pretty good at going, hey, maybe there's a hammer. Maybe I cast a spell. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yes. Dungeons and Dragons, that's a whole other uh, very delightful, fun part of my life that people would not assume about me. <laughs> that is um, true. I would never have It's very fun to surprise people with that. <laughs> I was yeah. talking to some kids at school about Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, how does this, how does this work? So it is a, I did watch a few of your videos on Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, goodness. Like, okay, this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is great. Dressing up and everything, but I'll let people, I'll let people find. Alice, if people want to find, keep up with you, what you're up to and find Dungeons and, Dra Dungeons and Dragons stuff. Where can they do that? So uh, on Instagram right here, I'm just at Alice Gretchen. Um, Instagram is the social media where I'm, where I'm most active, I guess you might say. I do have a Twitter, it's Alice Food, not so much as active there. Um, and then my website, just alicegretchen.com for any sort of updates for my book. Um, my audiobook's going to be coming out very soon. I hope there, we had to do a couple re-recordings that are getting finished now, but yeah, it'll, I'll be announcing it here on Instagram for sure. And then, uh, you can find it through, through my website. Fantastic. Alice, thank you so much for taking so much time. I always, I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'll keep it to hour 15 and then I just keep finding rabbit holes. So thanks for being so gracious and, and sticking around and just. Oh, it's been invigorating. Spending so My much pleasure. time. Oh, awesome. <laughs> um, if you've made it to the end of this episode, man, that's an hour 46 is the time a click clicks on. Uh, and you disagreed with everything Alice has said. Maybe you're in the conservative Christian camp. Maybe you're in the Republican camp. Maybe you're in the progressive Christian camp and you disagree with everything. Congratulations. You, my friend, have earned the Ideas Digest medal of listening to people you disagree with. Hopefully, you've come away with some ideas to sit with and digest. Hopefully, you've gained some understanding. Hopefully, I've been able to excavate 
Alice, her journey, how she thinks, what she, um, well, I guess how she might kill somebody if, if <laughs> given the opportunity. Um, if, if you've been able to, hopefully you've been able to come away with something like that. Um, if I missed any questions, send me a DM and uh, I will catch you everyone in the next episode.